Hi, ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis, part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and uh, Women in the Word is truly my happy place. I love being here with like-minded women, watching you open your Bibles. Um, it's amazing. So thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here as well. Now, for those of you that have been at Christ Chapel for a while, you know we have an amazing creative hearts arts team that um, over the years has produced as outreach to the community some great musicals. You may have seen some of them. The Music Man, Chitty Chitty, Bang Bang, uh, Beauty and the Beast, and there were several others, but they've never done one of my favorite musicals, uh, even though I think I've asked a couple of times. But uh, I first saw it when I was 16. I just fell in love with it, and that is the uh, Broadway musical Camelot. I don't know whether any of you have ever seen Camelot, but I've always thought Camelot was kind of the perfect uh, musical because it has great music, it has everything, has great music, it has a romance, it has um, really a hope for a greater good and a better world as King Arthur rules over Camelot and works for peace through the knights of the round table that he establishes. But unfortunately, and here's a spoiler alert, if you've never seen Camelot, it doesn't have a happy ending. And that is because there is a bitter betrayal when the handsome knight Lancelot falls in love with King Arthur's wife, Guinevere. King Arthur's vision of peace and an incredible kingdom is shattered by the betrayal of this knight that he loved and trusted above all others. Our prayer psalm today with David is also a story of bitter betrayal and a kingdom in jeopardy. And we have a lot we can learn from David's response to the painful reality that just like in Camelot, people may fail us. People may fail us. And David has some great wisdom to share with all of us today about betrayal. So look at Psalm 55 with me, and we are going to read together starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am ref restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. Now, there's no doubt from David's very first words in Psalm 55 here that he is agonizing over this situation that he finds himself in. He's distressed, and he's pleading with God. Some theologians actually think that David didn't simply pen this psalm, that he was really praying it out loud to the Lord, forcefully begging for God's mercy and pleading with God to answer his prayer. And if we think about David, we know that David was no anxiety-ridden lightweight here, was he? He's a brave, experienced warrior. Um, he even faced Goliath as almost a child, a very young boy. So if David is so distressed 
by his circumstances to beg and plead out loud for mercy from the Lord, we can know that his circumstances are so serious. They are dire. This is not ordinary in David's life, nor easy. He talks about the noise and oppression of the enemy here. And when he shares that, what he's telling us is he is hearing the sounds of troops gathering against him, probably many, many men coming out to uh, search for him. These are not the friendly sounds of David's own troops that he's used to as they gather to go out to war with him. These are not good men. And David openly fears the violence that they have planned in his life. Um, He calls them wicked, which in Hebrew means ungodly. It means criminal. It means an actively bad person. Uh, And he tells us that these ungodly criminals are gathering against him because they bear a grudge against him. And we're going to see as we continue through this psalm with David that he never actually names names of who is leading the conspiracy against him. But if you've been part of our studies in the past couple of semesters of First and Second Samuel, as we've looked at David's life, we know that even though God's hand of favor was on David, he was God's anointed and chosen king of Israel, there were at least three men that we can identify that turned against him despite David, God's clear hand on his life. And the first one is Saul. Now Saul was Israel's very first king before David. Because of Saul's disobedience and defiance, God takes his spirit and his favor away from Saul and he gives it to David, who he calls a man after his own heart. Obviously, Saul was displeased with that. He was angry. He hunted David over and over again for years, attempting to kill him. And there are theologians that when they study this psalm, they think that Saul is the person that David is talking about here. Look at 1 Samuel 19.11 on your verse sheet. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. Um, Saul definitely had a grudge against David. There's no doubt about that. But so did at least two other men who were prominent in David's life. Absalom, David's own son, is one of those men. Absalom was actually banished from David's presence following the murder of David's other son, Amnon. Now, Absalom held a grudge against his father for something that had happened in the family that David had not intervened in. That was the tragedy of Amnon's rape of their sister Tamar. There was lots of drama in David's family, I'm sure y'all remember. Eventually, Absalom mounted a full-scale rebellion against David, attempting to take the throne and the entire kingdom away from David, wooing his advisors as he went along. Look at 2 Samuel 15, 10. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. 
With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, and David's counselor from his city of Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. So Absalom has a grudge against his own father. He proceeds to incite this rebellion against David. This could be Absalom that David is writing about here. But I believe probably the most likely contender is David's close friend and counselor, Ahithophel. Ahithophel. Ahithophel joins Absalom's rebellion here for some unknown reason. And David's use of the word grudge to describe the leader that's against him gives us a clue that if it is Ahithophel, he definitely holds something significant against David. And probably Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. So that might be the source of the grudge that Ahithophel holds against David. Look at 2 Samuel 15:31. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Oh Lord, please turn the council of Ahithophel into foolishness. David himself is praying, which we're going to see later in the psalm, for God to confuse Ahithophel's counsel. As David's trusted friend and advisor, Ahithophel's presence with Absalom in his rebellion has got to be so painful and so bitter for David. But it could be any of these three men, and the truth is it could be countless others that we have no uh, knowledge of in David's life as a king. Um, that could be David's enemy that he's distressed about here. I kind of appreciate that David doesn't name names. Um, no one really knows who David is speaking of, but it could be one of these three. So let's see what else David has to say in verse 4. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling came upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Now, if you think about David's life, we know David has faced death many times over as he ran from Saul. And think about all the times he fought the Philistines and went out into battle leading his troops. So David knows what it looks like when people are trying to kill him. And that's exactly what he thinks his oppressors are going for here. He doesn't think they want to capture him. He thinks they want to kill him. And he is visibly shaken to the core by what he sees and hears happening around him. And he does what all of us sometimes do when life gets hard. He longs for an escape. He thinks about a refuge, some place he could go that would be a safe haven just from the chaos around him. I had a precious friend and mentor for 20 years, Martha James, and Martha went home 
to be with Jesus back in January, and she was 95 years old when she went on to be with our Lord and Savior. And she'd had the most incredible life. She'd lived most of her life as a widow. As a widow, she was a missionary to China. She was an independent spirit with just this incredible, fierce love of the Lord. And in fact, she was one of our original Women in the Word teachers back in the day when there were about five gals coming and we all sat um, in chairs week after week. But when age ravaged Martha's body in the last couple of years, she took her refuge in her relationship with Jesus. It was hard. And I would talk to her every day, and I would say, Martha, what have you been doing? And she said, I'm sitting with Jesus. I'm sitting with Jesus. And she did that all day, every day. It was her safe haven. Martha wanted a refuge from her hardship, just like David. But unlike Martha, David wasn't needing a refuge from his failing health. What David wanted was a refuge from the people around him, people that had been his people, people he had led, people he had trusted. These are people who were failing David. And he was wanting a safe haven. And his predicament in this psalm reminds us of a hard truth in all of our lives today. Because people are sinners, saved only by God's grace in this world, people may fail us. People we love, people we've trusted and cared about. It may be our friends, it may be our coworkers, our parents, our children our spouses, our church leaders, and certainly our world leaders, no matter who we are, no matter who we are, we run the risk of relationship challenges and failures from people we love, people we trust, just like David. And the reason is sin. Look at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is that truth that permeates relationship, failure, sin. But as we see David reach out to God in prayer here, he knows the same truth that my friend Martha knew. No matter what the failure is, David knows that the one relationship we can always count on, the one relationship that will never fail us, is our relationship with our mighty and loving God. Look at what Lamentations has to say about God's faithfulness to us and our relationship with him. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And Psalm 18 are David's own words. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. People are failing David here, causing him fear that he would like to escape. But David's own words that he wrote in Psalm 18 give us an important truth, a truth that, he, that we need to cling to whenever we face failure from the people around us. When people fail us, and they will, 
They will. Remember, we don't need a cabin in the woods to escape that relationship failure or even the latest Netflix series. That's what I hear now as we're all looking for a way to escape um, the painful realities of life through Netflix. Remember, remember the truth that our true refuge is God himself when the people in our lives disappoint us. I want us to be women who follow David's example. Run to him in prayer when people disappoint us in this life. Run to God's word, which will bring truth and comfort and peace and direction. He is our, re our refuge when relationships fail us, and he will never disappoint. So read with me some more in verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. So we know David is a, a savvy and a commander and a wise leader, and he understands that the troops that are gathering around him, they're, they're gathering at the direction of their leader. And whatever direction this leader is uh, giving their followers, that's what's creating the strife and the violence that he sees in the city and the countryside around him that he calls out. And there's a lot of discussion by theologians, actually, if you read about this psalm, about whether David is talking about Jerusalem here as he mentions the city, or whether it's actually actually the town of Keilah where Absalom and Ahithophel are gathering south of Jerusalem. Um, but there is a thought that he may just be using the word city here as a reference to the countryside of Israel. Um, there's no way to know. But it is the lies and the threats that are being told by the wicked leader here that's causing the violence. That's what's stirring up everything around uh, David. And what David does here is he calls out to God to intervene, to intervene and confuse them. That's actually what he means here in the ESV when he says divide their tongues because it's probably a reference to the story that David knows well, the Tower of Babel where God intervened in the insurrection of the people and confused their languages and it worked. And David hopes for that same thing here. And the truth is, David has seen God confuse his enemies and their communication on the battlefield several times in his life as a commander. Um, and David is distressed that the uprising around him, against him, is wreaking havoc on his people. It's destroying the cities. He even talks about the marketplace here. It's destroying everything throughout David's kingdom. David hopes that God calls out to God here to intervene by confusing the leadership, just as he's seen God confuse his enemies on the battlefield time and time again. Look at 2 Samuel 8, uh, 14 on your verse sheet. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. That has been a truth in David's life. And that's what he's calling out to the Lord here again. Give me victory as you confuse their communication. 
But let's get more insight on exactly who is causing David uh, such anguish. Look at verse 12 with me. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, the insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. So we see David. He's surrounded by these troops that are gathering against him. He's battered by the violence and the strife that is spreading throughout the countryside of Israel. That's heartbreaking enough. But now he reveals what is really breaking his heart. He's been betrayed. He's been betrayed, um, and not just by a casual colleague. The source of all this pain is someone that David has had an incredibly close relationship with, someone he trusted, someone he even went to worship with. This was a person that David had shared life's best and most important, meaningful moments with. We have those people, don't we? People that come to our kids' birthday parties, keep people that are there for us when hard things happen. That's who this is in David's life. David is open about the fact that if this was just another enemy, he could deal with it. David was used to enemies. He knew what to expect from enemies. And his emotions were not all bound up when he dealt with an enemy. But this betrayal by someone that he trusted, that he thought loved him and cared for him, leaves him reeling and dismayed, hurt, angry at what this person has done. But he's not just angry and hurt about what this person has done to him. He's also angry and hurt about um, what this person has done to God's kingdom, to God's people as they try to wrestle God's kingdom away from David, who is God's anointed king. And he denounces here everyone that is actually aligned with this person, his betrayer, everyone that is following his betrayer's plan. And he calls for God's judgment against these wicked men, these ungodly criminals who are not seeking God's plans and purposes for God's kingdom, but their own. David may be remembering the story that he also probably knows from Moses' day of the punishment of the Israelite Korah and his relatives as he prays here in his psalm for the wicked to go down to the grave alive. That's not a new thought for David. He knows that it's happened in the past. Korah led an uprising against Moses' leadership when the Israelites were in the wilderness. That was an assault on the Lord's sovereign leadership as well. Here's what happened to those who questioned Moses' leadership as the Lord's appointed and favored leader. Look at Numbers 16. 
And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. David remembers that. That's his prayer here. He understands that as devastating as it is, Uh, to have his friend betray him. Truly, who they are betraying is the Lord. As God's anointed king for Israel and Israel's people, any betrayer of David's is a betrayer of God. Any enemy of David's is an enemy of God. David's request here for God's judgment to be exacted on his betrayer um, is not for personal revenge on people that have just broken his heart, who have failed him, but his request for God's judgment, for divine judgment. Um, He's requesting it for those people who oppose the sovereignty of God. And David gives us a powerful example to follow in our lives as well when people fail us. As we read about David's betrayal today, I think it's true that many of us in this room, myself included, could put a face or a name to someone in our lives who we trusted, someone that we had lived life's most meaningful moments with, but in some big or maybe small way broke our trust and broke our hearts and caused us to experience the pain of betrayal. David's wisdom for all of us here today, whether it's for a past betrayal maybe a future betrayal, is not to waste time plotting personal revenge for personal reasons. David is putting the consequences for his betrayer squarely in God's hands because David trusts God's judgment. God's judgment is perfect. It's not tainted by our human sin of anger or our desire for revenge Many years ago, I witnessed a very public moment in the life of a young couple in my neighborhood. Um, The husband stood in the front yard with his hands in his pocket, and the young wife, with lots of fervor, threw all of his belongings out into the front yard, one after one. She threw all his clothes. She emptied his socks and underwear drawer out there. She got his video games, his fishing rod, his tools, one by one, she tossed out there. And as she did all that, she made sure that the neighbors knew in a very loud and graphic voice the exact nature of his betrayal. There was not anyone that didn't know what happened. Public humiliation was her revenge. That was what she was going for, and she accomplished it. You know, one of the interesting twists of social media today, and there are a lot of things you can say about social media, but one of the interesting twists is you no longer have to waste time throwing things out into the yard, do you, with just one click of your phone. You can post comments, you can post pictures, you can tell intimate secrets for all the world, not just the next door neighbors to see. With David as our example, we can rest in the truth that when people fail us, 
We don't have to waste time or energy plotting how to get back at them. Uh, revenge will never lessen the pain of betrayal. It is not going to heal you. As, as appealing as it may be at the time, revenge will not heal you. We can follow David's wisdom and put our trust in God's perfect judgment when things like that happen. Look at Romans 12 on your verse sheet. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Even when battered and betrayed, David trusts God's divine judgment and so should we. David has more great words. Look at verse 16. But I called to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul and safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And these verses here in David's psalm is such a great picture of the, the message that I think is throughout this psalm, and that is David's complete confidence in God. David's complete confidence in God. He's praying here. It says morning, noon, and night, uh, knowing that God hears him. Knowing that God hears him. He's, so he's praying all day. He's not giving up. Now we know that he's trembling in fear. We know this is a hard time. But David is not just sitting there picturing them breaking in and slicing his head off. He's continuing in prayer. He's not wasting time picturing the worst thing that could happen. He's persevering with complete confidence that God will save him some way, somehow, in his time. A few months ago, I bumped up against a situation in my life where someone seriously broke my trust. And it was, um, I'll be honest, it was such a hard, painful moment when I realized what had actually happened and been done. But the, the goddess, our God is so gracious because in that moment when I was trying to take it in, in my heart, he spoke to me, that little voice that you sometimes hear, reminded me, I'm here. I'm in this moment with you. Doesn't matter how hard it was. He wanted me to know he was there. And as he said it, I knew it. I knew it was true. He was in the hard place with me. David knows that's who God is. That's what David is convicted of. He's confident that God hears his prayers. He knows his own. He walks with them through the hardest times. That is David's truth. David doesn't know the outcome of this betrayal. He doesn't know how this is going to end. But what he has confidence in is that God hears him. God sees. God knows. God 
will provide salvation for him. And his constant prayers are evidence of that confidence. Because as I said, he's not sitting there saying, what if they break in? What if this happens? What if they drag me out? What he is sitting there saying is, I'm waiting for God's salvation. That's what's going to happen here. Even though he doesn't know what that peaceful salvation will look like. Another conviction that David has, and we see that in these verses, David is convicted and has confidence in the fact that God also sees and knows those wicked. He knows who don't, who, those who do not fear him. He knows those who turn their back on him. David understands that. God sees the righteous, certainly, but he also sees the wicked. They will be humbled, and they will be punished. One theologian I read expressed David's confidence uh, this way. He said, David has confidence that God will give peace to the guiltless and punishment to the guilty in his time. What a great thing for us to stand on and be convicted of in the world that we live in. Betrayal has not changed David's view of who God is. And David includes his betrayer here in the guilty who don't fear God, who walk in their own wicked ways, because he goes on to describe his words here, doesn't he? He describes him as a deceiver, a deceiver whose words are comforting and soothing, but his heart was filled with anger and animosity. David sees that now, and he uses a warrior's words uh, to describe his former friend. He says he had war in his heart, and his words were like drawn swords. Another translation says daggers. His words were like daggers. David knows what happens in war. It's not pretty, and he also knows what his former friend has done to him is warlike. It's not pretty either. He's covered his plans of violence with words that dripped like butter over those plans of violence. I have to think that as David reflected back on those words that had been said to him, that smooth, deceptive speech, that he had to feel a little foolish because he was so deceived by it. He was so taken off guard. But despite the deception of his friend, look at David's next words here. Look at verse 22 with me. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half of their days. Now this is one of the things, I love a lot of things about David. Um, but this is the one thing I love the most. He's not just a king and a leader and a warrior and a poet, an incredible poet. He is all those things. But he's also a teacher and a wise counselor who shares his trust and hope in the Lord so that others can know it here. It's not something he keeps to himself. And verse 22 is actually a type of a homily here. Uh, uh, these are words he wrote for us. These are words he wrote for us. Uh, he wanted all of us here today to hear him say 
um, what he wanted us to know about betrayal because right here he tells us what our job is in betrayal and he tells us what God's job is in the midst of betrayal. Our job is to take our hurt and our pain and our distress and our dismay and our anger and cast it on the Lord. And the word he uses here uh, doesn't mean just sit it out and hope the Lord picks it up. In Hebrew, the word cast means to hurl, to fling, to toss uh, with a lot of energy. It's an action word. And the word for burden means that which was given to you. So whatever hurt or challenge or pain difficulty has been placed in your life because someone betrayed you. David is telling us exactly what to do with it here. Don't hold on to it. Don't cling to it. Don't take it out every now and then and look at it so you can kind of keep that anger going. Take whatever it is that's been given to you through the betrayal of someone else, through people who fail you, and hurl it, toss it, Fling it straight to the Lord, squarely on the Lord, because it tells us the Lord's job here. Not only is it to take our burdens, but it's a hold tight to us as well, so that we're sustained. We're not moved. We don't go under, no matter how hard it has been. As I studied these words the last uh, few months, I was reminded of something that happened this summer when I was with my husband and that illustrated these words for me so perfectly. We had put his fishing boat in the water and then taken it just a short ways around the corner because there was a, a beach area, a shallow spot, um, and we were going to get out and swim and actually it was super hot out. I thought it was too hot to fish, and so I wanted to get in the water and float around and cool off a little bit. So we just pulled the boat up there and anchored it, and we had been peacefully swimming around, laying on our rafts, enjoying this beautiful day, when my husband looked over at the back of the boat and realized it was going underwater. And when he saw that, it dawned on him, he had forgotten to put the drain plugs in the back of the boat when he put the boat in the water. And he actually made me swear I would never tell anyone. So don't mention it if you see it. So, I asked him, he said, yes, you can tell him, that's fine. But what we did is scramble over to the boat, and he began to go underwater and try to get those plugs in. And I had a styrofoam cup. And I began to fling and bail. As fast as that water was coming in, I was flinging that water out of the boat. Um, and that's the visual image I have here of David's words. As fast as that pain of betrayal comes into your life, toss it back out. Give it back to the Lord. Um, whatever is sinking us, whatever is sinking us, David wants that for our lives as well. Toss that anger, that hurt, whatever. He can carry all of the pain, all of the pain of betrayal. And while we're tossing that pain to him, he's holding us steady, secure, 
making sure we don't go under while we bail. David has great confidence uh, in the Lord's care for those who love and fear for him because he's experienced it over and over again in his life. But he also has great confidence, and he says it again in these last few verses, the same God who will never forsake the righteous is going to take care of the wicked. He's going to cut short the lives of the wicked. David wants us to remember the righteous are God's job. He will sustain us, but the wicked are God's job as well. His responsibility, he will take care of them. Despite his dire circumstances and the painful betrayal that David has experienced uh, at the hands of someone he trusted, David's message to us as we finish his psalm here is so clear. His message is, Place your confidence in God alone. You know, we all have some great people in our lives, people we love and depend on, but the truth is our confidence above all can never be in those people. It has to be in the Lord. Um, When people fail you, and they will, confidently give all of your burdens of broken trust to the Lord And trust in the truth that your God will care for you. David finishes this great psalm here um, by giving us some incredible words. The very last few words of his psalm, um, he gives us words to cling to, words to pray, words to remind us where to go when we experience the agony of betrayal. He says to the Lord in the second half of verse 23, but I will trust in you. In our complicated world, with complicated relationships, let's all be women who say, in our hardest moments, and our hardest relationships, but I will trust in you. Pray with me. Father, that's exactly who we want to be. We want to be women whose confidence in you rises above everything else in our lives. That we can say to you in our hardest relationships, but I will trust in you. Father, I thank you for these women who love your word, who love each other, and who certainly love you. Would you put your hand of favor and blessing on each of them as they leave today? And I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Ladies, I just want to remind